You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. What's Love Got to Do With It? Which came out in 1993 and was directed by Brian Gibson. It stars Angela Bassett, Lawrence Fishburne, Vanessa Bell Calloway, Jennifer Lewis, Candy Alexander, Richard T. Jones, Raven Larrymore Kelly, Penny Johnson Gerald, Phyllis Yvonne Stickney, and Chi McBride. We will also be discussing the documentary Tina, which came out in 2021 and was directed by Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin and was narrated by Kurt Loder. The genre for What's Love Got to Do With It is, of course, musical biopic. Two, three, four. She had given him everything he wanted. You get in this car, Devin, get in this car! You can't keep hiding black eyes from us. I just can't walk out. She never stopped believing things would change. I just need a rest. She's quite ill, and I'm not releasing her for at least another three weeks. Oh, no, 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 no. I need you to get out on that stage right now. You can't get away from me, and I'm in here. But if she ever wanted to find her dreams... When you can see yourself clearly, your life will change. She had to start believing in herself. I made you. You want nothing without me, and you ain't gonna be nothing without me. I'll give it all up. Just release the claim on my name. And you're gonna walk out of here with absolutely nothing. Except my name. Touchstone Pictures presents the story of a remarkable woman who refused to give up. I'm ready. I'm ready, and I know what I want. Recently rewatching this, this was certainly a different type of viewing experience for me. I was about 15 minutes into the Tina documentary, which had just come out on HBO Max, and I just had more of an urge to revisit the Angela Bassett movie from 93. This movie. So I rewatched it, and then the rest of the documentary afterwards. And I don't know why, but doing it in that order just kind of made both of them a more rewarding experience. As much as I can appreciate a good documentary, I guess it's just always the heightened, more fictionalized version of a story with top-flight actors at the top of their game that draws me in just a bit more. Can I have your autograph, Miss Turner? It's Mrs. Turner. That's a married woman you're talking to, woman. So when are you going to make another single, Mrs. Turner? Uh, who knows, you know? There you go. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Psst. Sorry. We're both sitting there. We're supposed to be celebrating. Now, come on. Yeah, all right. We're supposed to be celebrating, I guess. I can see the Turner Review. Finna go on tour with the Rolling Stones, huh? There you go. Yeah, yeah. we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. Uh, hey, can we get some of that cake? Matter of fact, bring that whole cake over here. Okay. Come on, man. Only one cake. Come on, just a little piece. Come on, all right. What's the matter, baby? You high. You embarrassing me. Oh, come on, now. Who be my friend? Come on, now. I'm asking you nice stuff. And I'm saying no nice. You know, I, come, come on. This cake. Come, come on. 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 If you had anything, you get out of here too. What's Love Got to Do With It can be a rough watch for much of its running time, 
And that's purely intentional, as Ike Turner, as played by Lawrence Fishburne, is just a force all around. Sad, sharp, angry, and very charismatic. So you can see how he draws people in. It's a dark performance, though, with a brutality that is unflinching in several scenes as we watch him abuse Tina verbally and physically. But it never feels sensationalized nor exploitive. Fishburne's performance does not humanize nor justify such behavior, but over time, we spend enough time with Ike to understand what drives him, and it's pure 100% fear of being left behind, which plays out in several effective scenes throughout the movie. Both her and Fishburne were deservedly nominated for Oscars. Of course, Angela Bassett shines even more. You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice and easy. But there's just one thing. You see, we never ever do nothing nice and easy. We always do it nice and rough. But we'll take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're going to do the finish rough. That's the way we do. Credence Clearwater's proud men and we're rolling 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 on the river listen to the song on stage, in the rougher moments, and she just nails that unique Tina smile that we've seen so much while performing. Where it always kind of looks as if she's nodding with pride to someone right next to her, it's very much a Tina thing, and Angela Bassett nails it. It's an amazing performance, and you convincingly witness her grow over 20 years. Oh, Jackie, I just, you know, I know what it's like to have your own blood walk out on you. And I just can't walk out. I just, I just can't walk out. I just. It's going to be okay. I want to share something with you. This is what you were doing when I came up. Yeah, it was. Just follow me, Anna. Say these words with me. Nam yo. Nam yo. Renge Kyo. Renge Kyo. Jacket, what? I don't know what I don't know what I'm saying. It sounds. I know, I know, I know it. It feels strange, but it's chanting. I'm, I'm a Buddhist now, and when you chant, Anna, you can see things clearly. It's like life's mirror. And it's easy to forget that now, when this movie came out in '93. Tina Turner herself was still selling out stadiums all over the world, and she had a very recognizable face and persona, and Bassett faithfully represents that persona while still keeping her character ground level. And speaking of Ms. Turner, the documentary, Tina, is told in five distinct acts, all narrated by her at now 80, recalling everything alongside Kurt Loder, yeah, MTV fans, remember him? I do. Who co-wrote her biography, I, Tina, back in the 80s. A best-selling novel, which would, of course, be adapted into the movie about six years later, kind of taking us full circle. Of course, the documentary delves into more of her personal history than the feature film ever could. And one day I was, she asked me, she said, what are your dreams? I want a two-story Spanish-style house. And I want a piano in the corner, and I want a window, a, you know, big windows on each side of the piano. He says, oh, okay. 
Okay, this was like in Tina Turner days. Fast forward to Tina Turner, and I come back for the farewell tour. She gives out the gifts to the band, and, and she handed me this wrapped gift, and it was a frame. And I opened it up, and I looked, and it was a picture of my son Alex sitting at a piano between two windows. And he's turning back looking at me. Okay, it didn't register. Uh, she comes up to me, and she goes... She goes, Lejeune. I go, oh, Tina, thank you, thank you, thank you. She goes, Lejeune, look at the picture, Lejeune. And I go, okay. And I look at the picture. She goes, look at the picture. It hit me. She bought me a baby grand piano and had it placed between the two windows in my two-story Spanish-style house. We learned about her poor childhood growing up in Tennessee, abandoned at different points by both her parents, her relationship with Ike, even offering some insight into why she felt the need to stay with him for so long. Her rise to solo stardom with the Private Dancer album, and the eventual fallout, good and bad, of becoming a megastar, but one with a very painful backstory. Tina is always frank in her recollections, and one unexpected aspect of this documentary is how much discussion is devoted towards examining the double-edged sword of having such a great comeback story, but then having to constantly be reminded of the ugliness from where it began. Watching these interviews, I was reminded of that terribly awkward interview that Robert Downey Jr. gave a few years ago back to promote Avengers Age of Ultron, when suddenly the interviewer just started peppering him with questions about his drug history. And Downey just was not having it, and he stormed out of the interview. Well, picture instead if he had just stayed and took the time to reconcile his success with what happened before, out loud for about two hours. And that kind of describes the interview portions of this documentary. It's hard. One of the worst parts of your life has been an inspiration. It hurts to have to remember those times. But at a certain stage, forgiveness takes over. It's a genuinely fascinating watch and a great companion piece to the great narrative film which came out 18 years prior. And this begins the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. Now, I love Tina's music. And even though What's Love Got to Do With It has its share of memorable music sequences, they really cannot top the real thing in the documentary. We see performances going back five decades, including some pretty amazing footage of Tina in the early 70s, Still performing with Ike. Tina is performing a fierce cover of Respect, a classic hit song from the late great Aretha Franklin. But she's also having asides with the women in the audience during one bridge of that song. She just kind of starts talking about how women deserve more respect. Respect is what I want. Frankly, I think it's what most of us want. But we don't always get what we want, especially us women. But you know who always gets what they want? The men. The men do what they want to do. Oh, yeah. Whenever they want to do it. And they do it with whoever they want to do it with. And then finishes off the song in rousing fashion, asking everyone to clap alongside her. Now, this was apparently just a few months before she finally left Ike, who was on stage performing near her. 
and it is as strong of a moment for female empowerment than you will ever likely witness on stage. Just incredible. So much for the men. Come on back to the music. I'm going to ask you all to do something that a soul folks call the soul clap. Goes like this. Do it. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Well, okay, to be fair, this is more of a personal pet peeve of mine when it comes to musical biopics, and more pointedly, recent musical biopics of pop artists who I was aware of real time during their careers. And this actually relates to the previous category, Best Needle Drop. Going back through the careers of any number of renowned pop artists, from David Bowie with his classic title single for the movie Cat People, or if we're being honest, the entire career of Kenny Loggins. Many pop singers have often produced and or performed much of their best work for movies. So why, when it comes to actual movie biopics about these pop artists, do their contributions to movie soundtracks get such short shrift? Now, this might be a small sampling, but I have now noticed this with three recent movies. Bohemian Rhapsody, which makes some effort of going into the creation of many a memorable album done by Queen, but has zero mentions of the band's top-flight soundtracks for Highlander and Flash Gordon. Egregious. And I'm just hearing this now secondhand because I haven't seen the movie, but from what others have told me, there is barely any mention of Whitney Houston's soundtrack work for The Bodyguard and Waiting to Exhale in her recent biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. And this happens once again with Tina. It's a great documentary, which delves into Tina's entire catalog, yet barely a mention of her co-starring in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and delivering the amazing We Don't Need Another Hero for that soundtrack. Now, I might only be referring to three recent movies, but that's enough to consider it a trend, and a disturbing one at that. In case I had not always made it aware on this or previous episodes, it's a motto of mine that music is essential to film. The relationship between these two mediums is symbiotic, and I would just suggest to those in the process of producing new musical biopics to begin acknowledging that. Enough said. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the senior moment that best describes this movie. And this is a good one. This is a really good one. The scene which has always stood out to me occurs about two-thirds into the movie, and it's not an easy one to watch, at least initially, since it involves Ike's physical abuse of Tina. I'm referring, of course, to a sequence based upon true events which occurred in Dallas in July of 1976 while Ike and Tina were still touring together, as the Ike and Tina Turner review. Apparently, things got increasingly tense between the both of them on the flight there, and by the time a limo pulled up at the airport, Tina was just not having it. But Ike forces her into the limo and not only dresses her down, but starts to hit her with one of his shoes. It's brutal and uncomfortable to say the least. However, this is also the moment when we witness Tina finally stand up for herself. We see her suddenly turn the tables on Ike as she starts to fight back. And it just gets nastier and more violent. And then we see Tina disheveled on the other side of the back seat of that limo with a defiant look on her face. What she says and then does, well, let's just say that what follows had my theater audience just going nuts back in 93. It's the definition of a fist pump moment. It's not easy to watch, but still very gratifying. Oh, that's your best shot. Oh, you can't do no better than that. Come on. Come on. Oh, 
And this brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Along the lines of that trailer moment, there's another powerful moment right towards the end of the movie when Tina is backstage at the Ritz in New York and putting on makeup alone before her big comeback show. This is Tina's moment and a standout moment for Bassett as well. And then we watch Fishburne's Ike saunter in. They're both looking at each other in the mirror as he tries to threaten her. With a gun, no less. And she completely takes control of the situation with a calm bravado and basically says, What you gonna do? I don't know, do what you want to do, like, I don't care. Let me tell you what I want to do. I have a room full of people who come to see me. You hear me? I come to see me. So what do you want to do? I don't know. Shoot me. As she stares down at him and then walks away while he just continues to look at himself in the mirror. Now, in the hands of lesser actors, this scene could play as pure melodrama. But seeing the confident demeanor with which Bassett carries herself makes it genuinely affecting. And it's just a very tense scene overall. And as I mentioned previously, let's not forget that Bassett also had the unique challenge of convincingly portraying an easily recognizable figure who was pretty much a household name at the time of release. Even though she does not do most of the actual singing, which Tina Turner herself did, Bassett fully inhabits this character in a manner that's not often seen with this type of biopic. Unlike some other recent musical biopics, which will not be named... Well, actually, they've already been named <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. This never feels like just a highlight reel of one celebrity's life. This movie feels like the gradual evolution of a real person. Now, undoubtedly, much of the credit for the structure of this movie should go to Kate Lanier, the screenwriter, and the director, Brian Gibson, who generally presents all of this in a serviceable, but not always cinematic way. In fact, one of my biggest criticisms for this movie was that it often has a flat TV movie look to it. I don't honestly know if I could blame Gibson for this, as there were also probably budgetary constraints that were out of his control. However, at the end of the day, it is really Bassett who elevates this film with her performance, which she deservedly received a Best Actress Oscar nomination for, and should have won. For delivering a towering performance of a true-life inspirational story, Angela Bassett is the MVP. My rating for What's Love Got to Do With It, and my rating for Tina the Documentary, both of them, four and a half stars out of five. Both of these films comprise one hell of a double feature, or at least watching them on consecutive nights if you're looking to immerse yourself in Tina's story and music. There's still plenty of great music, and I cannot recommend both of these movies highly enough. And if you're looking to watch What's Love Got to Do With It, it's available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And if you're looking to watch Tina, it is currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another bodacious review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.